If I was to ask you, who's the person in your life that means the most to you? How will you describe this person? How have they made a great impact on you? Do they show care to you? Are they there for you to cry on? Are they trusted? Can you trust them with your secrets? Are they there to listen silently when you have problems? But most of all, I think that we all can agree that the person that probably makes the most impact on us is those who can share into our pain, those who share into our hurts, those when we are feeling lost are there for us. Now, there are many great characteristics of this person that may have have this great impact upon all of us. But if I was to say, if we had to just maybe sum it up or just to say just one thing about that person, we probably could all agree that this person has a cure for others. They have a compassion for others. And this morning, we have an opportunity to see how Jesus, even up on the cross, had a compassion for others also. As we continue Missions Month here at Central, and as we continue into our series of the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross, I want to take a look at the third saying. The saying, woman, behold your son. Now, we had a great journey through this uh, passages throughout the past few weeks. But let's jump into it right now. Let's turn to John chapter 19, verses 26 through 27. And it reads, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, just take a few just to look back with us over what we have discussed over the past two weeks. Now, the first saying when Jesus was first thrown onto the cross, when he was mocked, when he was crucified, when he was nailed to the cross, he said something very interesting. The first words that he uttered was, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Jesus forgave those who were responsible for putting him there right on the cross. There, in those words, Jesus reminds us of the reason why he came to this earth, to save those who are lost, those who have sinned. And he came for the forgiveness of sins. Even while on the cross, Jesus also said something else that was so remarkable. You see, there were two other criminals who were on crosses to his left and to his right. You see, they were at a point mocking him too, reviling him. You see, but that one had a change of heart even to the point of coming to Jesus' defense, rebuking his other uh, fellow criminals, saying, hey, cut it out. You do not know who this man is. For what we have done, we deserve this punishment, but not him. And then he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, this day, please remember me. And Jesus had something so wonderful, so beautiful. He said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow, isn't that amazing that... Now Jesus, in the midst of all this pain and this suffering, he's up on the cross suffering. He's still offering forgiveness. And even one who was on a cross near him with the same sentiment of death has now have assurance that he will have eternal life in paradise also. Now, the statement that we want to focus on this morning is this third statement. Woman, behold your son. Let's discuss that. Now, we know that there were people at the cross who were mocking him, who were throwing slurs at him. But there were people near the cross who loved him dearly, those who were devoted to him. Some of these people who were there was his mother and his fellow disciple, John. You see, these are two of his closest people. You see, his mother, the one who birthed him, the one who raised him up as he was a toddler, the one who probably bandaged his knees when he scraped it, the one who watched him grow up. Even when he was in his adult ministry, she was there, often following along behind. 
And then you had John, his fellow friend, who fellow friend in the ministry, one who he called and who got up immediately and followed him, the one who he poured into, one who he had special moments with. Yes, these two people was there. As he looked at John and as he looked at Mary, he uttered these words, woman, behold your son and to his disciple, behold your mother. Now, in the text, John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John often referred himself in this gospel as that, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, seeing his dear friend Jesus there on the cross suffering, I would have to imagine that he was there hurting also, as well as Mary. Can you imagine that, seeing that scene? Now, you have to understand that John traveled with him. John spent time with him. John spent good time with him. John seen the miracles. John was there throughout. John was even, as the scriptures say, the one who was leaning back against Jesus at the Last Supper. And even after Jesus was arrested, John was the one who accompanied Jesus in the courtyard. In John's gospel, he does not use his own name to refer to himself. In fact, he used the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, some could speculate, oh, John is just being arrogant here. John is just trying to um, just say that he was in a better position than the rest. But I would beg to differ. I would just, I would say that this term was a sense of humility, a sense to show genuine celebration of his relationship to Jesus. In a sense, John was saying, when he was saying the disciple who Jesus loved is saying that Jesus chose to love me. Just like us, we should have that same feeling. If we know Jesus, we have spent time with Jesus, we should embrace this special relationship we have with him. We should embrace that he loves us and know that we are special to him. Now, speaking to his mother, he said, woman, behold your son. Now, I thought this was interesting that the fact that he called out to Mary, his mother, and referred to her as woman. Now, I don't know about you, but I referred to my mother as woman once, and it didn't go too well. I even was brave enough to stick out my chest and refer to my wife as woman and said, do such and such. Now, I'm not going to tell you how they all turned out, but I leave that to your imagination. Now, this was due to the negative response that I got was due to the attitude I had behind it. Jesus' choice of words here is significant in the fact that he used woman and not mother. I think this is another act of compassion. Can you imagine Mary standing there at the cross, brokenhearted, seeing her son nailed to his wrists, nails to his ankles, having to see her firstborn baby enduring all this pain? And him using the word woman instead of mother, I believe, is a sense of compassion. Because if he was to say the word mother, I think it would even bring her even more distress to, to the fact that it would even highlight her. The fact that she had, could do nothing to bring him down from that cross, nor alleviate his pain. Even in his suffering, Jesus had a great concern for others, in particular for his mother. He knew that even though she was heartbroken, that she still needed her physical needs met. So he set an order for John to take care of his mother. Now, this is basically saying, yes, I may be dying, I may be gone. I may be not here for you anymore. But look, behold... He's saying, take, look at, look at John, see him, embrace him. He can be your son. Love him as you love me and expect of him the things you have expected of me and comfort each other going the days forward. Even from the cross, Jesus gave commands. He was putting things in order. You see, this particular command was fulfilling the duty of the eldest son. The eldest son had the duty of taking care of their aging parents. 
their father and their mother. Now, we don't know much about Joseph at this time, but we can assume that he had passed on by this time. So Jesus, being the oldest of his brothers and sisters, had the duty of caring for his mother. Now, we also know that Jesus honored the law. He honored the commandments, especially the commandment of honoring your father and your mother. We especially see this in Matthew chapter 15, when he was questioned by the Pharisees and scribes who came to him in Jerusalem, questioning him about why did the disciples not wash their hands before they ate. Jesus rebuked them, saying, calling them hypocrites, basically calling them out for themselves not following the commandments. The commandment in particular, not honoring their father and their mother. You see, at this time, what was going on, these Pharisees and scribes would go to the synagogues, would go to the public places to pray, to offer um, offerings, to display their holiness. But all along, their parents may have been poor and suffering, but they refused to give to them. Jesus was calling them out for their lack of care for their parents. Now, what does this care that Jesus showed to mothers say to us, Mary say to us? Jesus called for us to show that same compassion to others also, even when we are suffering. In spite of our pain, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our perceived failures, we are st still called to show care to others. Now, there is no doubt at times, especially when you put yourself in a position to show care to others, that we may be called to share love to those who may have hurt us, those who may have wronged us, those who may have broken our trust. I may dare say it, those who may have stabbed us in the back. Now, if we really think about it, it's interesting because we're not really walking around with a knife stab in our back. But however, Jesus, being on the cross with nails in his wrists and in his ankles, literally was nailed to something, Lord. And if he could do it in his suffering and he caused us to give compassion to others, even in our suffering, we are called to do the same. So, we should embrace our relationships. We should show compassion in all relationships, regardless of what it is. After speaking to his mother, woman, behold your son. Jesus turns his attention to John, saying, behold your mother. Jesus is instructing John to take hold and take care of his mother. Now, this again is Jesus still obeying the law of the firstborn, of just recognizing the duty that he had. And I will even go to say that his actions here validates the scripture in 1 Timothy 5, 8 that says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He was honoring his mother by turning her over into the hands of John. But you know what? It just wasn't any hands. But there's a couple of questions with this. Jesus is turning the care over of his mother over to John. But why John? Why was John being entrusted with this such responsibility? Didn't Jesus have other brothers? Now, some would say that John was left this responsibility because he was the only one there. But let's ponder this for a moment. Now, I think it goes more deeper than that. You see, Jesus invested in John. Jesus had a relationship with John. John, after all, he was his disciple. John was the one when called to follow. He immediately got up to follow Jesus. Now, although John was hurting and John was heartbroken, he was given a task. He was blessed with an assignment for Jesus and his last moments. Now, this could be due to the faithfulness of John's loyalty and, and his work that he has shown and love he has shown to Jesus throughout. But needless to say, Jesus left this ultimate responsibility to John. Now, let's not forget that Jesus' life here on earth was very strategic. 
He did not waste any time doing things that did not matter. He spent his time and energy doing things that would have eternal value. He spent his time investing in people. And in fact, we know for that Jesus spent time in investing in his disciples, namely John also. Jesus would go out and cast out demons. He would heal people. Jesus would be around people who were hurt, people who were lost. Jesus spent time with the kids. Jesus spent time at weddings, turning water into wine. Jesus spent time feeding the hungry. We know Jesus spent a lot of time investing into people. Now, however, we know that Jesus valued that relationship with his mother. We know that Jesus didn't invest a lot of time in accumulating things, accumulating a lot of property or anything that had no earthly value. In fact, we do not know of any property that he had that be, had to be left to be sold or auctioned off. We don't know about any type of possession that he had to be divided up amongst his siblings. And in fact, we even know that his very clothes was divided up amongst the soldiers. But what Jesus did have is the relationship with his mother. He valued that relationship and that most precious possession that he had, the relationship with his mother, he left with John. Now, we know that the bonds we share biologically with people are important, but it's important to recognize that spiritual relationships are crucial. You know, the, the relationships we have with the family, those who are in the faith with us. Now, we are called to love each other. We're called to encourage each other. We're called to be there for each other. Now, this brings us to an interesting question for us all. Who are you investing in? What would our legacy be? How will you impact those that we leave behind? Now, this is something that we often don't like to talk about, but I believe that, yes, it is something that we need to spend some attention on. Well, you may think to, to yourself, well, you bring up an interesting point. There are some uh, things I need to set in order because I am not, I, I'm not going to be here forever. There are some people that I need to make sure they're taken care of. I may have some possessions that need to um, be aligned. Some of us may say, well, you know what, maybe I need to be getting a will in place. Especially us who have young children. We, we want to have a say to who our children um, go and live with, who um, become the ones who nurture them and care for them. Or we may have some other possessions such as a house, a car, or money that we, we want to uh, have a intention or know where that goes. But amongst other things, you should know that your most ultimate responsibility is to leave a spiritual legacy. What would that be? Now, those are all good thoughts that what I had said previously, but what will your spiritual legacy would, would be? Who are you investing in now that you, are, that you are pouring into for the advancement of the kingdom? Who are you um, pointing to Christ? Who are you showing how to live the life that Christ calls us to live? Who are you showing how they can be an impact for the kingdom? Just like John being entrusted with the care of his mother, we are called and entrusted with the care of others also. How will we answer that call? Now, although we may slip at times, those who truly love, God, who truly love Christ would, would eventually embrace, it, embrace the opportunities that Christ gives us. Even though that may not make sense, even though that it is hard, we have to understand that when Jesus chooses us, it is special. It is a special assignment. Now, even although that things were going on, that was a scene of intense pressure. There's no doubt about it. If you can imagine, you're seeing your friend, Mary seeing her son, just up on the cross, blood, sweat, tears dripping. It was an intense scene. Now, even in the midst of all that, 
You still have to be able to receive the command from the Savior. You have to be obedient. So be obedient when the pressure is on. Even when the pressure is at an all-time high, we're still called to be obedient. We may be facing pressures in many forms. There's no doubt about it. We may be facing the pressure of grief. We may have lost someone dear to us. We may be facing the pressure of worry because our bills outweigh the money that we have in our bank account. We may be facing the pressure of stress because it's due to our busy work and school schedules. We may be facing the pressures of loss and loneliness because of divorce or recent separation. Whatever the pressure is, and trust me, I know the pressure is real, but we're still called to be steadfast even in the midst of that pressure. Now, as we read the text, we know that John was obedient in the midst of facing pressure. Now, having to deal with his emotions, he's given a task and he immediately is obedient to that task. We see in verse 27, it says, and from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, when looking at this verses, verses 26 to 27, I couldn't help but notice that the word disciple was there three times. And one thing I have learned is whenever something is repeated in the Bible, it is of some, some significance. Now, if there's a person, a place, or a thing, we should pay particular attention to. Now, the fact that the word disciple here was used here in referring to John even further highlights John's relationships, John's obedience, and John's faithfulness. Now, let's be clear. We know that Jesus uh, spoke to John, a disciple, basically a follower of him. And we know that a, dis a disciple is one who follows his teacher. John, being a disciple of Jesus, followed the teachings of Jesus, meaning that he knew the commands of Jesus, he obeyed the commands of Jesus. And this is one a more thing that he could show his faithfulness. And one thing I like about John is that he did not take these instructions half-heartedly. He did not half-step, he did not tiptoe, he did not wait and ask questions, he did not look around to see who else could help him. He took upon himself to follow through the commands. His command from Jesus was to behold your mother. And he took Mary as his mother. And from that hour, he took her into his own home and cared for her. This right here displayed a sense of urgency on behalf of John. Now, we know that John claimed to be a follower of Christ. We know that John claimed that he loved Christ. But here, I would dare to say that John validated those claims by his actions. John validated that he did, in fact, believe in Christ, that he did, in fact, love him by following his, his instructions. Now, here's a question to you. Do you consider yourself a Christian? Do you consider yourself a disciple of Christ? Or are you following through on the commands that God has given you? Are you following through the the options in your gut right now of where you should be serving or what you should be doing and how you should be loving and forgiving people. Now, I think this is something serious that we really have to look through. Let us take an assessment. Now, if we all to be honest with each other, our schedules are jam-packed. It's full with work, school, social time, and a whole lot of other things that we probably made up in our minds. Now, the crazy thing about it is if we look at our schedules and we look at the day, we see how jam-packed it is. But if we just turn and keep flipping, we notice that probably each day is just as jam-packed as the other. I believe this puts us in a dangerous position, the position of false belief. This false belief based on the fact that we will one day be able to get it all done. The false belief that, and not that we are somehow immortal and won't necessarily die and we will have a chance to get to it. Well, if you're like me, I have come to learn and realize that Tomorrow is not always promised. 
So take take heed to the instructions that Jesus gives us. Take heed to the instructions that, that he gives us through his words, gives through us through people, that he gives through us through the Holy Spirit. Take heed. Just know that at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is that what is of the kingdom. Things that are of eternal. The things of this physical world will pass away. So, let's evaluate. Now, as we take care of the spiritual things, uh, rather than the civilian things, as Paul reminded Timothy to keep his eyes on the mission and not necessarily be focused on what's going on around him, we too should be the same. There's a lot of urgency going on around us. If we were to look around us, you would notice that there's a harvest. There's a harvest of lost sheep who are in need of a savior. There's a harvest of people who are hurt and lost, who are just begging and waiting for someone to come and bring them good news. Now, I know that you and I can't be the ones to do it all, but what we can do is pray urgently. We can pray urgently for laborers to come alongside of us who will have a heart of compassion to pour in these people. Now, also, there's an urgency for us to seek meaningful relationships. Now, I'm not talking about these surface level relationships where we just maybe look to stock our Facebook um, accounts or just to include others into our cliques. No, I'm talking about these meaningful relationships that impact the kingdom of God. The relationships that where we are seeking to be discipled from, by someone who can pour into us, who can help us grow, who can challenge us, who encourages us. And then in turn, we can disciple someone else who we can also encourage, who can challenge those in the faith and those not yet in the faith. Yes, we're called to those who are lost, who are hurt. Those who haven't heard the gospel yet. Let's press in. Despite of the pressure, despite of our own suffering, let's press in into this season of urgency right now. Now, just remember, I know that some of us are in the trenches right now. It may feel like you're there alone and you're not getting the knowledge or wherever the case may be. I know that some of us may have jobs where we may see some of the darkest moments of life. And I say by God's grace, thank you and, and continue to keep on in it. And I know there's other people who serve in ministries outside this church or not connected to Central and that people may not know about. And you volunteering and you just pouring in, trying to reach the lost and hurt and hurt, help the hurt. And I would say, keep up. I would like to encourage you in that. And I also know that there are some even in the church who are just stepping out of their comfort zone, who are doing things that they normally would not be. Just know that God honors that. Just know that God is building up and storing up your treasures in heaven. You may not see the treasures here being built up. You may not see, you know, the biggest house. You may not see the, the fanciest car. Your bank account may not have all the zeros, but know that we're not focused on the treasures we built here on earth, which will pass away, but we should focus on the treasures that our Father has for us in heaven. Now, remember when I asked earlier of the person in your life who means the most to you and thinking of this person and the impact that they had in your life? I highlighted that because the person that we probably all agreed, the characteristic that they had was a care for others. That, that person had compassion. I challenge you. You are called to be that person. Jesus calls us, even in his example of being on the cross, of speaking down to his mother, speaking to his dear friend John, that he showed compassion even in his suffering. We're called to do the same. And even when we are facing those pressures, we're called to be obedient. And in our obedience, we are to act with a sense of urgency, the same urgency as John demonstrated, as it says in the scripture, from that hour, he took her into his own home. 
we are to act with that urgency, not putting off things for tomorrow, the things that we can do today. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you, Lord, just for your awesome example for on the cross, that even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of the pain that you endured, that you still had the care and compassion for us, Lord, to just be an example of how we should treat each other to be an encouragement to us on how we are to be obedient and to be an encouragement to us on how we should just act in the, just be urgently in all that we do. We know that and thank and thankful for the reason why you were on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, to die for our sins once and for all so that we do not have to be bounded by the slave of sin, do not be headed for the destination of death. But Lord, we just thank you for the eternal life that we have through you. And we just pray for those who may not know you, Lord, and we just pray for those laborers who are in the harvest right now and just pressing in. We just pray and just give them refreshment, Lord. We just pray that you just give them all that they need and the encouragement they need to press in, even in the midst of the pressure that they're facing, Lord, and showing compassion. And we, don't, we do not take anything for granted on what you give to us, but we're so ever grateful. And all things we ask in your son Jesus' name, amen.